0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now, the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the show. We have a very special guest. We've been meaning to get on this program for some time. In our second segment today, we're going to speak with Dr. Peter Dale Scott of UC Berkeley about his book, The Road to 9 11 wealth, empire, and the future of America. Few authors we can think of offer you the in-depth perspective that Peter Dale Scott does, and we're very pleased to bring him to you today. And again, next week, this will be a two-parter. Please stay tuned for that. And for the second week in a row, we're going to try and get our good friend Dr. Andy Jones to join us on today's program, and hopefully we'll have better luck today. And, of course, our good pal Will Durst will join us later in this segment. Let us follow our usual pattern and start this day's uh, broadcast with On This Date in History, which, in this case, is November 1st. On November 1st, in the year 1254, Haytan, king of the region in what is now Turkey, leaves the Mongol capital of Karakorum after a six-week visit. His account of that trip is one of the first and most detailed chronicles of the powerful Mongol Empire. The Catholic Church commemorates this date as All Saints Day, and on November 1st, 1755, a great earthquake wrecked the Portuguese capital of Lisbon. It destroyed about 12,000 homes and killed about 60,000 people, including many in church for All Saints Day Mass. Fires and the subsequent tsunami which raked over Lisbon contributed to the mayhem. This event would later be featured in Voltaire's Candide. And by this date, November 1st in 1922, just two years after the first commercial radio station began broadcasting in the U.S., that was KDKA in Pittsburgh, 524 stations had received licenses. On November 1st in 1950, Puerto Rican nationalist radicals Griselio Torresolo and Oscar Colazzo attempt to assassinate U.S. President Harry Truman in Washington. A few years earlier, Truman had escaped a similar attempt by the right-wing Israeli stern gang. This latter incident is one which we are keen to learn more about. We have so far been unable to track any good sources onto the Internet, so if you know something about uh, the attempted assassination on Harry Truman by the Israeli stern gang, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. We were able to find information about the Swedish Count Folk Bernadotte who was um, uh, tasked by the U.N. with assisting in the partition of Palestine. Uh, He apparently irritated some members of the underground Zionist terror group Lahi, which resulted in his assassination in Jerusalem in 1948. And uh, we should note that it was um, 12 years ago, this November 4th, that Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin was himself assassinated by a right-wing Israeli group which disapproved of his efforts to facilitate the peace process. And on November 1st, 1952, the U.S. detonated the world's first hydrogen bomb on Inuitok Atoll in the Pacific. The Soviet Union would explode its own thermonuclear device the following year. All right, our quote of the day comes from Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, who said, frankly, it's time for the establishment of a Palestinian state. Our quip of the day comes from Bill Burton, spokesperson for presidential candidate Barack Obama, who commented on the revelation that Vice President Dick Cheney is evidently a distant cousin of Obama's by commenting, well, every family has a black sheep. All right, our, our joke of the day comes from the recently departed legendary comedian Joey Bishop, who we'll talk about in segment three today picked by Frank Sinatra in the 1950s uh, to open up his act for him. He was later joined by Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, and Sammy Davis Jr. to become the uh, still legendary Rat Pack. I did not know this, but apparently Bishop was asked by Frank Sinatra to be the master of ceremonies at President Kennedy's inaugural gala where the Rat Pack performed. Evidently, when the president arrived, Bishop turned to him and said, I told you I'd get you a good seat. Our stat of the day, and one we're sorry to report, according to the Gallup poll, Al Gore's Nobel Peace Prize has not produced a groundswell of support for him to run for president. Before the prize, 38% of Americans thought he should run. After the prize, it was only bumped up to 41%. We, however, are in that 41% and sent uh, the people who are trying to draft Gore to run uh, 50 bucks last week. That option, of course, remains available to you, dear listener. Not that we're suggesting you need to run out and do that, but we think you ought to consider it. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, last week was a good week for emergency pit stops, after a Japanese car accessory firm unveiled a new portable toilet designed for use in the backseat of a car. Said a company spokesman in what's some pretty good marketing, the portable commode will come in handy during major disasters, such as earthquakes, adding, and this is the part I like best, or when you're caught in a traffic jam. You know, I don't know about you, dear listener, but I never, never want to be caught in a traffic jam and look over at the car next to me. Well, enough said. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for family planning. Recently, when President Bush appointed Susan Orr, an avowed opponent of contraception, to head the Health and Human Services Department's family planning office. Or is slated to oversee the office that provides contraceptive services and counseling mostly to poor families. In 2001, when she was working for the Pro-Life Family Research Council, she praised an administration proposal to stop requiring insurance plans for federal employees to cover contraceptives. We're quite pleased, she said at the time, because fertility is not a disease. And finally, it was kind of an ugly week a couple weeks back for free speech. When the Speaker of Quebec's Parliament banned members from using the term weather vane. When used as a metaphor for a flip flopping poll driven politician, the term is, quote, unparliamentary and hurtful, unquote, said Speaker Mitchell Bessonner. talk about some news and some political news. Well, let's start with this item. According to USA Today, security screeners at two major U.S. airports failed to detect fake bombs carried by undercover agents more than 60% of the time. Screeners at Los Angeles International Airport missed the bombs in 75% of the tests. The chief of the Transportation Security Administration said the results were somewhat misleading because the tests have become increasingly difficult with undercover agents concealing bomb components as small as a pen top. Now, we're not sure what to think about this, but you know, if they're going to be taking away th- anything over three ounces in the way of toothpaste and body lotion, then, then don't you think they ought to be catching the bombs? item. Actually, this is a cartoon from Wasserman in the Boston Globe. Shows the uh, UCASI, um Senate confirmation hearings in four panels. First, first panel. Can you tell us your position on interrogations? No. Second panel. Your position on surveillance or Guantanamo? No. No. Can you tell us your name? Not Alberto Gonzalez. <laughs> Senate. Confirmed! So I made a trip down to Santa Cruz earlier this week and was in one of their excellent bookstores there, and I noticed uh, that um, um, there was a book out about Robert Oppenheimer, the point of which was how Oppenheimer had been sandbagged by uh, certain people for not being hawkish enough, despite the fact that he was the father of the atomic bomb. We talked about this on the show a few years ago uh, upon the passing of Edward Teller. He was, of course, uh, the man with the knife under the cloak. And not coincidentally, the man responsible for there being a Lawrence Livermore Laboratory that produces atomic weapons, which is independent of that in the one in New Mexico at Los Alamos. Worthy topic for a book Then I looked down and noticed the author, Patricia J. McMillan. No relation to our producer, by the way, but Patricia McMillan seems to always been a person in the right place at the right time. In 1959, she was working in Moscow and happened to get an interview with the then-defector Lee Harvey Oswald. Somewhat not coincidentally, she was later later given the contract to write the book Marina and Lee, collaborating with Oswald's widow. She also seemed to be in the right place at the right time when it came time to find a co-author to write the story of Stalin's daughter, Svetlana, who defected to the West in the 1960s. I haven't read this book, and I have no intention of doing so, because um, what I'm sure it is a book that has a lot of revelations that tells you a lot of interesting things but falls short of giving you the full picture we live in an information age and there's a million books being churned out on on various topics but uh, this is one good way of sort of uh producing what's called the limited hangout if you can remember the watergate era so to give give the people a lot of truth not quite all the really good stuff but enough to sort of uh you know get them excited and another case in point, another book is out currently called Curveball, Spies, Lies, and the Con Man Who Caused a War by Bob Drogan. Mr. Drogan, an investigative reporter, claims that the entire war in Iraq can be blamed on the lies of a down and out Baghdad engineer. Now, while it is true that uh, this, this, this Iraqi citizen was a con man, he was known to be a con man by, or was highly suspected of being same by British intelligence. Despite this fact, four years after he um, he emerged, an artist rendering of a mobile biological weapons lab was the centerpiece of U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell's argument for deposing Saddam Hussein. The lab was the product of curveball's imagination. Writing in the Wall Street Journal, uh, America's Pravda, <laughs> perhaps should sometimes be referred to, Judith Miller, Judith Miller, she of uh, cooked intelligence data presented as factual in the New York Times, said that about this book that the CIA concluded far too late that none of Curveball's stories was true. I'm sorry. The real story here is that people in the administration were, look, were looking for data, cooked or otherwise, to justify launching in a war on Iraq. This guy's cockamamie story fit the bill, He was given credence by administration figures, even though intelligence operatives in the CIA and elsewhere were warning the administration that this guy's data was not to be trusted. And you may have caught Bill Maher on a few nights ago. Uh, He had um, Wesley Clark, who really disappointed me by parroting this same party line of, oh, yes, well, the Democrats did vote for the war, but gee, we just had some faulty intelligence No, they chose to let faulty intelligence pass is what the real story is. If you were listening to this program in the ramp up to war, and we hope you were, you would have noted that we, using data available to anyone and everyone who cared to look at it, that there were no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and that the administration was cooking up a reason to go in. We were certainly not alone in that conviction. I think, dear listener, you probably uh, probably had your suspicions as well. So how can it be that the Hillary Clintons and, uh, and John Edwardses of the world, to say nothing, of course, for the Republican side of the aisle, fell for this? Well, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't that they fell for it. It was that they chose to go along. Now, the media, of course, is, uh, is all over the horse race aspect of, uh, of election 08 who's ahead, who's behind. Uh, we would like to, again, quote Radar Magazine, which is, you know, like Vanity Fair, doing some pretty good reporting among its, uh, its smart ass uh, articles on this and that. A guy we need to bring on this program in the future is poli-sci professor Larry Sabato. His website is called Crystal Ball, and the magazine notes that in 2004, he correctly called 525 out of 530 national electoral races. In 06, he prophesied the Democratic takeover of Congress when the conventional wisdom had them losing in a squeaker. Larry Sabato's current call, Hillary Clinton versus Mitt Romney. We also think it might be worth quoting Dr. Larry Sabato's comment about the impeachment of Bush. He said, there's nothing to it. He has the best insurance policy in the world, Dick Cheney. Now, the last we heard, uh, Rudy Giuliani was way ahead of his uh, his, uh, cohorts in the Republican race. But, uh, of course, they're all vying for who can be Mr. Conservative. And Giuliani apparently does not fit the bill with the right wing of the Republican Party, which, of course, is probably the same thing as saying the Republican Party. We're, uh, we're not sure about the Republican side of things, but after reading this article by Leonard Doyle in the Independent UK, which is reprinted on truthout.org, we are now convinced that the Democratic nominee will be Hillary Clinton. We would like to add, barring an Al Gore miracle, but it probably at this point is going to require a miracle, because according to Leonard Doyle, the U.S. arms industry is backing Hillary Clinton for president and has all but abandoned its traditional allies in the Republican Party. Mrs. Clinton has also emerged as Wall Street's favorite. Investment bankers have opened their wallets in unprecedented numbers for the New York senator over the past three months and in the process dumped their earlier favorite, Barack Obama. Noted Mr. Doyle, an analysis of campaign contributions shows senior defense industry employees are pouring money into her war chest in the belief that their generosity will be repaid many times over with future defense contracts. The article notes the frosty relations between the arms industry and Bill Clinton, uh, but note that uh, his wife seems to be careful not to be making any of the same mistakes. After being elected to the Senate, she became the first New York senator on the Armed Services Committee, where she revealed her hawkish tendencies, tendencies by supporting the invasion of Iraq. Although she now favors a withdrawal of U.S. troops, of course, she says, you know, we just can't set a timetable on that. You know, these things take time. Her position on Iran was described as the among the most warlike of all candidates, Democrat or Republican. Last week, Hillary Clinton said that if elected president, she would not rule out military strikes to destroy Tehran's nuclear weapons facilities. While on the Armed Services Committee, Mrs. Clinton has befriended key generals and has won the endorsement of General Wesley Clark, who ran NATO's war in Kosovo, and which probably explains his uh, fawning over Mrs. Clinton uh, on Bill Maher's program. Noted the Independent, a former presidential candidate himself, he is spoken of as a potential vice presidential running mate. Hillary Clinton has been a regular visitor to both Iraq and Afghanistan and has been careful to focus her criticism of the wars on President Bush rather than the military. And apparently, these, the arms industry has duly taken note. And this might be an excellent time to hear from our old pal, Will Durst.
1: Well thanks, Doug. Today, I want to warn everybody that next Tuesday is an election day. So I'm here to tell you, don't vote. You don't have to. No one's going to make you. This isn't the old Soviet Union. You're not going to be dragged from your beds and forced to the polls against your will. Relax. It's no big deal. I mean, things are pretty good the way they are, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Iraq, Iran, pretty much the same thing, isn't it? They probably get each other's mail all the time. That's what this whole thing is about. As for domestic policy, what do you care if some barren, deserted beach does or doesn't get blanketed by a thick film of 30-weight because of offshore drilling? What's the big deal? Find another beach. Don't sweat the small stuff. You got better things to do than stand in line to make indistinguishable marks on some incomprehensible ballot in someone's smelly garage. Do something worthwhile instead Jog on over to your neighborhood library Before it's closed down And read up on other people who never voted Although, admittedly, a lot of their memoirs didn't survive You can work on that extra room for grandma For when she moves in after the assisted living clinic Loses its Medicaid funding or take a farewell trip on your regional mass transit system and wave bye bye to the community fire station and the neighborhood rec center. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Besides, come on, for some people, Tuesdays are just biorhythmically bad. It's not your fault. Some people are just allergic to school cafeterias. Don't worry about it. Stay home. Don't vote. Who cares? Suck sand. For Parallax Radio, I'm Will Durst.
0: Anyway, we'll have more to say about some political things in our third segment, but let's close uh, our first segment today. We can bring back our next guest, which will be Professor Peter Dale Scott, to talk about The Road to 9-11. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.